the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Samuel. We can't go around saying, my house, my car, my money. I mean, I know what we mean by that, but we have to be careful because we have to acknowledge that even the skill that we have to earn a living is from the Lord. And everything we have is from the Lord. It's all His. It's on loan to us. We get to use it, and God blesses us with it. But He wants us to use material things so that material things do not use us. And He wants us to use those material things for His glory. The society we live in today is all about comparison of what we have. The physical objects we can own to be better than someone else dictates our social status. In today's message, Pastor Gary will remind you that everything you have and everything you can do comes from the Lord. Whatever skill you have that has blessed you with a good job and in turn blessed you with a nice house, car, or property is all from the Lord. Yes, we can work hard to earn things, but ultimately, it comes from our generous God. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 24 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. It's not an unheard of thing for David to send messengers from his army to go to Nabal and say, listen, it's, it's feast time, you're shearing your sheep, and we did provide protection for your shepherds and your flock so that no animal or, or no bandits would come to steal from your flock. Is there anything? He, does, he doesn't put a price on it. He's not like giving him an invoice, but he just says, is there anything you might be able to do for us? Because remember, David's on the run, and where are they going to get their next meal, and how are they going to provide for themselves? And so he sees this as a win-win. It's like, you know, we protected your 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats and your shepherds. Is there anything possible you can do at the feast time when it's customary to be generous with friends and neighbors? That's all he's asking. Well, Look at the next verse, verse 9. So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. And then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David and who is the son of Jesse? There are many servants nowadays, now now today's, who, who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? Oh, he's living up to his foolish name, isn't he? I mean, he's a mean cuss, just like we, just like the Bible says here. He's evil, he's mean, he's harsh. And so he says, like, who's this David, the son of Jesse? 
Now, it's not like he doesn't know, because David's name and his fame has spread throughout all of Israel because he killed Goliath. So everybody knows who David is. He's saying this to be smart. He's like, who's David anyway? I don't really care. Who's this, this Jesse kid? You know, I don't really care. But I want you to notice that this wealthy guy basically tries to take credit for everything that he has. Look at the number of times that the pronoun my is used there in verse 11. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I've killed for my shearers and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? So this is another important principle for us. We need to learn from the foolish man's foolishness. Rich or poor, plenty or little, all that we have is on loan from God, and he expects us to use it for his glory. We can't go around saying, my house, my car, my money. I mean, I know what we mean by that, but we have to be careful because we have to acknowledge that even the skill that we have to earn a living is from the Lord. And everything we have is from the Lord. It's all his. It's on loan to us. We get to use it, and God blesses us with it. But he wants us to use material things so that material things do not use us. And he wants us to use those material things for his glory. And Nabal was was an Israelite. He was a man who had been blessed by God, but instead of giving God the glory and being generous, because it was within his means to do it, and James 4 verse 17 says, For him who knows to do good and doesn't do it is sin, I mean, this guy is not really doing what would honor God. He has the opportunity to bless David and to bless his men for an an act of kindness that they did in watching over his sheep and his shepherd. And instead, this guy doubles down. And he's like, this is my stuff, and I'm not going to share it with anybody, least of which this David character. Well, it's not going to go good for Nabal. Verse 12, so David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. And then David said to his men, every man gird on his sword. And so every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David and 200 stayed with the supplies. Okay, now, this is not good, all right? I know he's ticked off. Uh, I probably would be too, but... um, Cooler heads should prevail here. What is interesting to note is that in the previous chapter, when David had the opportunity to kill the man who's been killing, trying to kill him, he showed great restraint. Now he's got this foolish farmer who has said some offensive things, and now he's ready to just go slaughter him. It's just like, David, what happened to the restraint you had in chapter 24? How about a little bit of that restraint now? I mean, if, if, if there was any time that you that you should really be thinking about killing somebody it was probably the guy who's trying to kill you this is just a foolish farmer living up to his name like why are you going to go all ballistic on this guy calm down okay so this is another principle for us this is a good verse it's out of proverbs 19:11 the discretion of a man makes him slow to anger and his glory is to overlook a transgression some translations say it is the glory of a man to overlook an offense like, like we, we can't be so hot-tempered that, you know, there's going to be some things that people say and do and, like, like chill. Like, don't, don't go off on them. And, and David is, is missing an opportunity here to show restraint. And, you know, he didn't have the Proverbs yet because his son would write the Proverbs by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But, but you know, we have them, so we can, we can be reminded of Proverbs 19.11. The discretion of a man makes him slow to anger. 
and is glorious to overlook a transgression. Well, it says in, in verse 14, now one of the young men, this is one of the young men who worked for Nabal, not one of David's. One of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, look, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when, when we were in the fields. They were a wall to us, both by night and day, all the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. In other words, he's saying, listen, they did protect us. He says in verse 17, now therefore, no one consider what you will do for harm is determined against our master and against all his household, for he is such a scoundrel that one cannot speak to him. Okay, so this, you know, one of the young men here, whoever this is, this is smart. You're going to go to the wife and help the wife to kind of intervene here in this mess. And so uh, the next verse, verse 18, then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seas of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, and 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Listen, if, if you have all that in your kitchen already prepared, you are really wealthy. And so here she is, and she's, but she's smart, remember. She's smart, so she's like, I, I got to intervene here, or my husband's going to get killed. So she loaded up donkeys with food, verse 19, and she said to her servants, go on before me, see, I am coming after you, but she did not tell her husband Nabal, okay? Now, sometimes smart, sometimes not smart, ladies, like, don't hide everything from your husbands, but maybe, you know, in this case, she's like, don't want to get him riled up, uh, I'm just going to go ba- be a peacemaker and probably save his life in the process, And so it was, as she rode on the donkey, that she went down under cover of the hill, and then there were David and his men coming down toward her, and she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him. He's like, you know, talking to his guys as they're riding along, and he has repaid me evil for good. May God do so, and more also to the enemies of David, if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. So, you know, they're talking to each other on their way to just slaughter Nabal and his family and his servants. And, but look at the next verse. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the the donkey fell on her face before David and bowed down to the ground. And so she fell at his feet and said, now she's going to give him a little speech here, but let me tell you something. She, again, she's a smart woman. There's nothing like a beautiful woman with a lot of food to stop a guy in his tracks. <laughs> That's what's happening right here. And David's not dumb. He's got eyes. You know, the thing with Bathsheba hasn't happened yet, but he's like, right, this is worth stopping for. Let's just see. Let's just see what's going on. And so she, she starts to speak to him. She says, on me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal. Now, that's, that's not good. Don't, ladies, don't talk about your husband like this, you know. But she, she's, you know, she's at least admitting like this. I know this guy's like hard to get along with. And so she says, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. Like he's a fool. I married a fool. His name means that, and I married him, so I know. And she says, but I, your maidservant, you know, that's just a very humble term. She says, I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. And now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives, 
And as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord be as Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. She's got, you know, all the supplies, all the food, all this stuff here. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Now, I want you to notice, you know, sometimes we can manipulate people with words. She's not being manipulative here. But I want you to note with me, she is pointing out something very important. I'm going to read it again and then I'll come back to it when when I'm done reading her whole spiel here. This is verse 28. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant. Even though she hasn't personally done anything wrong. She's kind of taking responsibility for, for the household. She says, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord, meaning David, an enduring house because my Lord David fights the battles of the Lord and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Verse 29, yet a man is risen to pursue you and seek your life, but the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God and the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling and it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel, like like this is already known, that this will be no grief to you, nor offensive heart to my Lord, either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, small l, then remember your maidservant. Now, let me just pause right here and explain what she's saying to him. There's a lot of Lord, capital L, Lord, small l. What does she mean by all this? Let me put this in the context of the way that people can often communicate to one another. You can either um, be like direct and harsh and, you know, confrontational, or you can be so uh, passive that you say nothing. And the, the truth is, it can be somewhere in the middle of that. Um, let me just speak to marriage for just a moment and use Abigail as a beautiful example here. Okay, um, and, and this can go both ways, husbands to wives and wives to husbands. But in, in this context with this woman speaking to David, here's a little helpful thing in marriage, ladies. Okay, let me back up. Abigail could have said to David, like, who do you think you are? And this is not right. And, um, and start kind of shaming him. Like, like you're a hothead and you're coming after my husband and yes, he's a fool, but like, but you're, you're making matters worse by going after him. Like, stop doing that. Now she doesn't talk to him like that, but neither is she so passive and that she's this silent, submissive wife who doesn't make uh, her wisdom known. So she finds that middle ground and here's what she does. She says to David in building him up that he is about to potentially ruin God's destiny on his life. And she finds this tactful way, instead of either shaming him with harsh words and confronting him, and neither does she remain silent and so passive that she doesn't do anything, she she tactfully finds this middle ground where she basically says to David, God's hand is on your life, and you're about to ruin it 
if you continue on the path that you're on. And you're too good for that, David, because you're the next ruler of Israel. And God has called you to be that next ruler. Don't do anything to jeopardize God's calling on your life. You are a man of integrity. You are a man who is destined for greatness in the land of Israel. And I'm telling you, I'm pleading with you, don't do anything to jeopardize God's hand on your life. And that is a beautiful way of speaking in the moment without being either harsh and shaming, like, David, you shouldn't be doing this, or being passive and so submissive that you're not saying anything. And this is just a wonderful example of someone who understands in the moment, I'm going to build this guy up, not with false flattery. This is not manipulation with her words. She's genuine here. She's like, I'm going to take this moment to build you up and to tell you what's at stake here if you keep going down this path. A gentle warning. And by the way, this is a wonderful principle. It's number three uh, from chapter 25. It's right out of Proverbs 15.1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. She's just giving a soft answer here to the moment. And so she is, you know, diffusing all of the pent-up anger and frustration here. This is a pretty straight read. Let me just read through the rest of the chapter. Verse 32. And Then David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. I mean, he responds like he he hears what she's saying. He says, and blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light, no males would have been left in Abel. And so David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. So like it, it, it humbled him and it diffused the situation. Uh, and, and instead of it escalating, it, she de-escalated it. And at the same time, she built him up. And this is, this is a wonderful, you know, we have to think about this. And this isn't, again, just the way a wife should speak to a husband. or This is also how a husband speaks to a wife. This is how friends should speak to friends. This is how employers should speak to employees. It's like, don't just go after the juggler vein. Like, right? Like, it's okay to, to, to see the goodness in this individual and speak to that and then let them know in a gentle way that's what's at jeopardy here if, if you continue down this path. And so he responds. He, he's humbled by it. He's moved by it. In verse 30, now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry with him, for he was very drunk. <laughs> okay. And therefore, he told, uh, she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light, because, you know, he wouldn't remember. And so it was in the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal, and his wife had told him these things, that his heart died within him. Now, so she, she ends up saying, here's what I did, here's the conversation I had. And it says here that his heart died within him, and he became like a stone. So his reaction, it seems to indicate from Scripture here, that he basically has a heart attack. It does, it's not fatal in the moment. But he has a heart attack, and he's like comatose now for like 10 days, because verse 30, then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. And so when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, blessed be the Lord, like there's a woman now who needs a husband. Yeah, that's exactly what's going to happen here, friends. He's like, blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil, for the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. 
Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? Romans 12, 19. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. And then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, here I am. Here's your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of your servants of my Lord. So Abigail rose in haste and rode on a donkey attended by five of her maidens. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. Now, just a second. You you might wonder, like, her husband just died. Like, she seems happy about this. Yeah, because he was a jerk. (laughs) Years ago, I years ago, I did a funeral for this sweet old lady whose husband had died after like, I don't know, 45, 50 years of marriage. And, and the night bef- uh, before the, f- the funeral, there was a viewing, and Terry and I are standing with her around the casket of her husband, and, and I, didn't, I didn't really know anything you know, too much about their personal relationship. And, and I just said what any pastor should say, what any person with compassion should say, right? And I just said to her, and you know, Terry with me, you're just like, you know, we're so sorry, and after all these years, you know, this must be so hard. And she whispered to us, but you know, when nobody else goes, she says, oh, no. It's not hard. Oh, no. She says, this is a blessing that he's gone. She said this. He's going to be pushing up daisies now. She was so relieved because that guy was a jerk, and I never knew it. She was so happy to be free. That's Abigail. All right? She's happy to be free. She's like, David wants to marry me? Fine. Because Nabal's pushing up daisies now. I'll be glad to go to David. So she rose in haste, followed the messengers of David, became his wife. But look at verse 43. David also took Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. But Saul had given Michal. Remember Michal? Saul's daughter? David was already married. And Saul gave Michal, David's wife, to Paltiel, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. All right, so just a final note here, because sometimes this gets confusing, and people go, well, how many wives did David have, and how many wives do other people in the Old Testament have, and is this okay? And it seems like it was all right during the time. No, it was never all right. So the last point, polygamy was not God's design. It was man's desire. God's design for marriage has always been one man with one woman. That's Genesis 2.24. Sometimes you have to understand this when you read your Bibles. Your Bibles are like reading a newspaper. It records the good things about life and the bad things about life. Just because what you read in the Bible seems to be a pattern of some kind does not necessarily mean that God always condones those things. He never condoned polygamy. He never was in favor of polygamy. His idea for marriage is Genesis 2.24. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That has always been God's design and still is God's design. One man, one woman, period. That's it. So even though you read in the Bible like David took multiple wives, he's going to get some more wives, not just these. This is not God's will. This is disobedience to God's design. But man's desire took over. And just because God does not like strike him, right? I mean, it's just being merciful in the moment to those who violated Genesis 2.24. But polygamy was not God's design. That was man's desire. Genesis 2.24 is God's design. Let's pause and pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for the things that you teach us through the life of David. And Lord, we just pray that we would learn from his example the good things and the bad things to be warned about, the good things to emulate. He was a man after your own heart, Lord. And 
We thank you that he was quick to repent when he was convicted about sin. We pray that we would be so quick, Lord, that when we fail you and sin against you, that, Lord, we would be sensitive in our hearts. And we thank you that you're always so willing to forgive. You're so patient with us, Lord, so forgiving. We just love you and we thank you, Father, that you gave your son Jesus for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to Cornerstone Connection. You've been listening to a message from the book of 1 Samuel. This book is packed full of practical applications for our lives today. We follow three main characters, Saul, David, and of course Samuel, through a series of crossroads and decisions they faced during the early days in Bible times. It is here that we find the victory of David over Goliath and the development of a new prophet in young Samuel. We also find the fall of the king in Saul as a reminder of the consequences of disobedience to God. As Samuel told Saul in chapter 15, verse 22, to obey is better than to sacrifice. Did you know that getting together as a church family is one way that you can hear the truth from one another? Cornerstone Chapel gets together each Sunday at 8.30, 10, and 11.45 a.m., and Wednesday at 7 p.m. to learn from the Word and spend time in fellowship as sons and daughters of the King. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. We also encourage and believe in the power of praying together and for one another. Email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net with your prayer needs today. Thanks for listening to this teaching from 1 Samuel today on Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know, but still you know you're not alone. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.